year ago, I had my heart, my sights set on something, on a particular date, a particular event. I love football. My favorite, amen, we already got off to a good start. My favorite player of all time is Peyton Manning, or was. But I had never seen him play. Never seen him play in person. So about a year ago, I said, uh, I think he's going to retire, or they're going to retire him. So I waited for the schedule to come out. And on there, I said, okay, December 6th, they will be playing in San Diego. Denver Broncos against the San Diego Chargers. So I circled that date, got friends together. We were planning to go so I could finally see Peyton Manning play. The problem is, during the season, he got injured, and he wasn't playing well. And so he was benched, and then the date came. I said, no, I'm not going to go to the game if he's not there. That's just a waste of money. So I was concerned that we weren't going to be able to, uh, I wasn't going to be able to see him. Well, then, right before the playoffs, he comes into the game, and I was like, oh, he's going to play again. The problem is that the next game was going to be a playoff game, one. Two, it was in Denver. So I looked up flights to Denver called some friends, and I said, hey, I need to go to this game. Are you down? Are you going to go? I'm going with or without you because these prices are going up, tickets are selling out, and apparently I don't have any friends because I ended up going by myself. (laughs) Oh, I feel bad for this guy. Don't feel bad for me. I went there. I got to see friends, hung out with them. But game day, yes, I walked there, and there were over like 70,000 people didn't know one of them. On every chair, there was these orange pom-poms, though. And you had tens of thousands of grown men with pom-poms cheering. And I was part of that. I was part of something amazing. I remember I grabbed my seat, and the people next to me was this father and his two sons. Like, oh, my gosh, that's cool. Where are you guys coming from? We're from Maine. You came from Maine. They're like, yeah, where are you from? California. Who are you with? By myself. Person to the right, you're like, oh, that's cool. You got season tickets. I envy you. People behind me, there was a family, a couple hours drive. Someone in front of me that he had been fan for decades. There was a couple, they were Steelers fans, so we ignored them. We kept looking. <laughs> but if you look at that picture, that was my, that's where I was at. I felt like I belonged to something. It didn't matter where I was coming from. It didn't matter that I was alone. And I said, oh, this must be what the kingdom of God is like to be a part of something. But it wasn't quite like the kingdom of God because there were still people from the opposing team. (laughs) There were still comments. The game was over, and you know how it is afterwards. You have people who are frustrated, people who are happy. Some people had one too many beverages. They didn't quite feel like the kingdom of God. There was tension, even though part of me felt like I belonged to something, like I could just be there, and everyone was on the same page. But that's how the Gospels are. You kind of see that people are part of something, but not everybody's on board. Andy Stanley, a preacher, author, a leader, he had this phrase in one of his messages, I appreciate it. He said, when you read the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
those books of the Bible that cover the life and ministry of Jesus, he said, when you read the Gospels, you notice a couple things. That people who looked nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And the other thing you notice is that Jesus liked people who looked nothing like him. It's beautiful that that is the Gospels. That's a story we see in the gospel because Jesus was always around people, people you wouldn't expect. When he was born, the first ones to receive the message were these shepherds. There's nothing royal about them, nothing fancy about them, but the ones that heard that the good news for all people was here were those shepherds. You had tax collectors. One of them was one of his disciples. Tax collectors, why would you want to associate with them? Zacchaeus was, was there, and Jesus calls him out, and he says, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. I'm going to eat. Do you know people like that who invite themselves over? <laughs> They're pretty, they feel right at home. Jesus invited himself to the home of a tax collector. You see parts in the, in the Gospels where it describes that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to listen to Jesus, and then there was grumbling by the Pharisees saying, who is this that hangs out with sinners? And I'm glad that they grumbled because Jesus responded with three amazing parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. Because he was hanging out with people who were nothing like him. The women were different. Mary was sitting at his feet even though everyone around her said, that's not where you belong. That's not what the rules are. You need to be somewhere else. And Jesus said, she's actually in the exact place she needs to be right now. Leave her alone. A woman caught in the act. Everyone was there ready to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, well, if you're perfect, try it. And Jesus not only stood up for, but stood next to someone who looked nothing like him. Jesus again around men. There was a woman that comes to him, and she did not belong in that place again, but she began to weep on his feet wiped his feet, anointed Jesus. And again, the Pharisees that were there saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Lepers, you don't want to associate with them. Those are people that you kick out in a literal sense. You had a leper who went before Jesus, and in that story, he says, if you're willing, will you make me well? And Jesus touched this leper and healed him, even though everything, every rule around there said, don't. And it wasn't just who he was with, but what he did and when. People were sick on Sabbath, and people described that they were waiting around to see, is he going to heal on Sabbath? Because that's not allowed. But he healed. See, people were at odds with Jesus for engaging with people who were different than him. But really, they were at odds with him because he engaged with people who were different from them. His interactions, the relationships he had with people, the teachings, the parables, they generated controversy, generated unease with people. And I am grateful that for that. I am grateful for that because Jesus did not play by the rules. He didn't limit his life and ministry to the boundaries created by us. He didn't give in to false perceptions of various groups of people. 
This disregard to these artificial boundaries and the differences people had often put him closer to the people who needed him the most. His life and ministry illustrated the fact that he was, in fact, good news for all people, especially the vulnerable and forgotten. So we're brought here to Luke chapter 10 because it reminds us that the same way that the life and ministry of Jesus had no boundaries, so should our own lives, so should our own ministries. Because just before chapter 10 describes that Jesus has set out towards Jerusalem. He's on the road. So he sends messengers ahead of him to prepare this place in a Samaritan village. And these messengers come back saying, well, we were rejected, which is no surprise, by the way. It's no surprise that a Samaritan would reject people like them. Because there is this bad history between Jews and Samaritans. Over 800 years before, Assyrians had conquered that area and then got rid of some Jews and then non-Jews came in. And over time, you had mixed marriages and they had offspring. So there was this tension and Jews viewed Samaritans as half Jewish and that was not meant as a compliment, by the way. They were considered, they considered Samaritans foreigners even though they had a common heritage. They were referred to as unclean even though they worshiped the same God and even though they observed the same law of Moses. Samaritans were despised by Jews. Jews were despised by Samaritans. And if you don't believe me, when these messengers came back saying, we weren't welcome here, how would you respond? Would you respond like James and John who said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? They were despised. And a good thing, Jesus turned and rebuked them, and it says he went to another village, rebuked the disciples. So we get to verse 25. And on one occasion, an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? See, this is an expert asking the question. He is not curious. He's not ignorant. This expert is wanting to put Jesus on the spot in front of everyone. But Jesus turns it back on him. Well, how do you, what do you say? And he continues, his response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. This expert's response is familiar to us here at Calamesa. Loving God, loving people. It's familiar to us because we hear Jesus say it in the Gospels as well when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says the same thing, to love the Lord your God with everything. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We know this because we've heard it in the Gospels. But here's the thing. This expert in Jesus responded to this because of what was said in Deuteronomy. What was said in Leviticus. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where you hear, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, everything. This is very important to the Jewish community. This is part of their Shema. This prayer that they recite. It in, that's included in this vital prayer. It is vital to the individual. It is vital, it's vital to the community. They pray it twice a day. 
Love the Lord your God with everything. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But love your neighbor as yourself, that's referring to Leviticus chapter 19. And chapter 19 is one of the most influential, one of the most important chapters in Leviticus, but also to the life of the community. Chapter 19, verse 18, it reads, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Don't hold grudges. Love your neighbor as yourself. Chapter 19, verse 18. But in that same chapter, 33, 34, it reads, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Loving God and loving people isn't just a reference to the New Testament. It was a reference to these passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It stems from these important passages. And Jesus responds to him, you are correct. Do this and live. And again, Jesus hands it right back to him. Okay, that's nice. Do this and live, expert. Because the lawyer or somebody like him, this expert, that tradition believed that the study of the Torah was the most important thing you could do. Knowing the law, understanding it, that was the most important thing to do. And Jesus put him back put it back on him and said, knowing is not enough. Faith without works is dead. Your faith comes to life in community. Love is a verb. So all of a sudden, this expert was trying to put Jesus on the spot, and all of a sudden, his worldview, his approach to life is being challenged. But he doesn't want it to be there anymore. He said, okay, I'm going to put Jesus on the spot again, this time for real. And he reads, or he says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, this expert is not curious. He is not ignorant. This expert wanted Jesus to define neighbor in public. Because loving your neighbor as yourself, we could all agree on that. That makes sense. Loving your neighbor as yourself, we agree on that. But who is my neighbor? That's a matter of interpretation. See, the one who defined neighbor was, would draw lines. Defining neighbor would establish boundaries. Who is your neighbor? Let's highlight these differences between us. And these differences sometimes made people be at odds with each other because definitions and boundaries were important to them, but they were also divisive. These boundaries were important. How is a Jew to interact with the Gentile? How do Jews interact with Romans? How do teachers of the law and Pharisees interact with fellow Jews? And how do fellow Jews interact with the teachers of the law? Jews are my neighbors, right? That's it, isn't it? Tell me. Because there's a difference in opinion here. Who is my neighbor is a critical question that was meant as a trap that could easily create controversy because it was a question that divided. And we have those questions too. 
who is my neighbor? We have these questions in the church. Oh, happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. God created. That's good. God is creator. Well, do you believe he created it in literal six days or not? Draw a line. Tell me where you stand on this matter. You might be outside of the church otherwise. You believe women should be in ministry? I think women should definitely be in ministry. Wait, wait. But do you think they should be ordained? Tell me. Where do you stand? Well, how should the church respond to the gay community? How should the church interact with them? Well, I I mean, we need to be loving. We need to be compassionate. We shouldn't judge. They're definitely vulnerable. Do you believe it's a sin? Answer that. We draw lines. Society does it too. Oh, you registered to vote. That's fantastic. What are you registered as? You're going to vote? Okay, who are you voting for? (gasps) What? How could you? Draws lines. Is it black lives matter or is it all lives matter? Tell me, where do you stand? You've heard that one a lot. Is it blue lives matter or is it black lives matter? We've heard that one recently too. We haven't heard, is it blue lives matter or is it all lives matter? We haven't heard that one. Where do you stand? Do you refer to these groups of people as illegals or do you refer to them as undocumented? Oh, that's how you call them? Really? Mm, you're one of those. I get where you're coming from. Are they refugees or are they Muslims? Are they refugees or potential terrorists? Are the people on this boat trying to find refuge, are they in danger or are they dangerous? Where do you stand? We draw lines. You read the Gospels and you discover that Jesus was known more for who he included than for who he excluded. And you look at society today and you've got to wonder, how does the church look? Are we known more for who we exclude than for who we include? People look at the church and are we known more for what or who we're scared of than who God cares for? We know more for who we're disgusted with than for being people who love everyone. Are we people who are tired of, known as people who are tired of hearing groups of people talk? Or are we known as people who acknowledge that God hears our cries? We draw lines. And this expert asked Jesus a critical question that was meant as a trap that could easily create controversy, but Jesus was okay with that because his life and ministry were motivated by love, not fear. He was more concerned about the person than the grumbles. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? So he replies, and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A certain man. He doesn't define this person. That's very clever. It's a good thing Jesus did that. We don't know if this person is a Jew, a Gentile, rich, poor, where he's from. We don't know, and it doesn't matter. All we know is that this person is in need. And he continues... 
a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This priest, these Levite, this Levite, they were official. They were respected. They had a role in their faith community. And this is where the pastors and the homiletical comes in. Well, why did they go around? There's religious purity going on here. And maybe it wasn't so much religious purity because you could find laws. Eh. No reason is good enough. That's the point. They saw a person in need and they neglected. They avoided that person in need. No reason is good enough. He continues, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, or compassion in every other version. Had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then, to take it one step further, he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, taking it one step further, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus, in this story, demolished boundary expectations. Demolished storytelling expectations. Race, religion, where you're from mean nothing here. But your need does. This story humanizes a despised Samaritan. This story challenges and invalidates stereotypes. Because everyone saw that person in need, but only one showed compassion. He saw him and had compassion. And that particular word in Greek is that word is only used to describe Jesus. You see it in the Gospels where it describes Jesus is going around towns and it said he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Before he fed the 5,000, when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick, it's the same word the Samaritan felt. And after he already fed 5,000 people, Right after that, describes that there's 4,000 people, and Jesus speaks and said, I have compassion for them. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. When the man with leprosy came before Jesus in front of everybody, saying, if you're willing, heal me, before Jesus touched him and healed him and said, Jesus had compassion. And then he said, I am willing. The prodigal son when the son is finally returning home, it describes that the father sees his son and he said, moved with compassion, went to meet his son. Compassion was more than a feeling. And Jesus, again, goes back to this expert. Which is the, of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
who is my neighbor? He said, you answer that for me. Like, well, the neighbor is the one who shows compassion. Being, being a neighbor is more important than wondering who is my neighbor. A neighbor knows no boundaries because a neighbor shows compassion. The Samaritan in the story was the hero, but his race, his religion, where he's from, didn't mean anything. Neither did the victim. It didn't matter the victim's race, religion, their region came from. It was irrelevant. And I bet you it was irrelevant to the victim, too, who was in need. I just need help. It's better to be a neighbor than to try to be a hero. It's not just about helping people when we get praise for it. Not just helping people in a way that's easy. We need to be neighbors, not heroes. Because when we're a neighbor that doesn't know boundaries, we prevent the evil things in this world. Because when we do draw lines, that's what prevents us from showing compassion. And Jesus came not only to erase our sins, but he also came to erase the lines we draw between us. Because his love knew no boundaries. He demonstrated compassion to everyone. A compassion that moved beyond race and religion. And for us, we need to be the same. Moved with compassion beyond race and religion. Look past party and country. Look past orientation or gender identity. Because a neighbor knows no boundaries. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Knowing is not enough. Love is a verb. Faith without works is dead. It's a band, a very popular band, one that I appreciate. U2. U2 has an incredible song called Where the Streets Have No Name. One of their most popular songs. And Bono, the lead singer, he's Irish. He grew up in Ireland and Belfast. And he said, where I grew up, you would be able to know somebody's religion and their income level based on the street they lived on. Oh, you live there? You're Catholic, aren't you? Oh, you live there? You must be broke. And he talked about one of his concerts, one of his tours in a different country. He noticed that that particular place, you couldn't tell the difference. Everybody was just together. And inspired this song where he longs to live in a place where the streets have no name. Where where you're from, what you believe in, the color of your skin, who you love, don't matter. It inspires that. It's one of the most popular songs. It's also one of the more exciting songs in a concert. Because in that song, when he, in the concert, he usually uses that song as a platform to promote a cause. To create awareness of an injustice happening. As, as that song is going on, they might highlight a, a particular political prisoner, a press group, or whatever it is. And probably the best example I could think of was in 2002. It was the first Super Bowl after 9-11. And U2 was asked to be the performers for the halftime show. 
And so, yeah, they're rocking out. They're having a good time. But the last song came on, and it was where the streets have no name. And you see this image. They had the banner, and all of a sudden they had the names of all the victims of September 11th scrolling up. The song begins. It's just really soft, and you see these names, and it grabs your attention. You immediately feel the pain. You feel compassion for the victims' families. There was pain. It grabbed your attention. And the song takes off, and it's an incredible moment. That image was powerful, but so was the last image as he finished the song. This Irishman, Bono, from Ireland, opened his jacket and revealed that inside his jacket was an American flag. A message to all of us. I'm Irish, but you're hurting. I know where I'm from, but I know what you're going through right now is not easy. The streets had no names. Boundaries meant nothing. He was a neighbor. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for including us in the good news. Thank you that your love includes people like us, all of us. Thank you that you weren't scared of controversy. Thank you that you didn't pay attention to the grumbles as much as you paid attention to the cries. Give us the courage. Give us the humility to be neighbors. To not wonder who my compassion is worthy of. Just help us to be neighbors. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.